I want to make a statement to you, and I would like for you to tell me if this statement is true or false. Are you ready? Here's the statement, true or false. What do you think? Love is a commitment accompanied by action with no expectation of anything in return. What is your answer to the question? Is that a true statement or a false statement? Let me repeat it. Love is a commitment accompanied by action with no expectation of anything in return. That statement has been popularized over the last 40 years. and People use it, and I'm curious as to what you think about it. Let me go ahead and give you the answer, then I'll get into the podcast. The answer is false. It is not true. Because loving someone should come with a hope that the other person will reciprocate your love. Honestly, to think otherwise would be odd. Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. All of our Your Daily Drive podcasts are written out for you, and so if you want to read this article... I would love for you to do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. And here is the title for both the article and the podcast. You can type some version of this into the, into the search box and you will find it. Why it's not wrong to expect love in return. I'm going to jump into the podcast in just a moment, but I want to say thank you for a couple of people. I haven't done this in a while, so I want to say thank you to Kimberly. Kimberly became a $100 monthly recurring member. Beverly, thank you for a $100 recurring yearly membership. Chris, thank you for your $100 recurring membership. And then James, thank you so much for your $5 recurring membership. I am very grateful that you four people have have thought it worthwhile to help us, to support us in this ministry. You are underwriting the work that we are doing, and because of your generosity, you're helping thousands upon thousands of people, and I just have to say thank you for doing that. If you would like to support us please do so. You can go to our website and look at the Give or Join link, and you can become a recurring member, or you can just donate if you wish. By the way, thank you, Jennifer, for your $200 donation, and you can do that too. There's a couple on uh, uh, that sent me a note, and I'm not sure if it's the, the guy or the gal who was talking because they're, they signed both of their names, but their last name is McCoy, and so we're just I'm just going to call them McCoy, because I don't know if it was the husband or the wife, but this is what the McCoy family said. They said this article, the article that they're referring to is an article on suffering, but they said this article is a summary of the book, Suffering Well. This book changed my life, and I highly recommend it to anyone who finds comfort or challenge in this article that they that they are referring to in this link. What I want to point out here are two things. Thank you, Mr. and Mrs. McCoy, for sending this note. And thank you for, well, the really the comment on suffering well. That book in many ways is our most important book, though I would like to think that the other ones they have they 
they have their place as well. But this one is important in the sense that it was 30 years in the making, and quite honestly, this ministry was birthed out of the things that you will read in that book, Suffering Well, because it was the crucible of suffering that God placed me in. And through that long ordeal, he taught me a thing or two, and now here we are, so many years removed from that, and this ministry was born and the things that I learned way back then, especially as it comes to a theology of suffering, I, I wrote them in that book. And the McCoy family, they're not the only ones who have made similar statements. My friend Pat, as I've said on this podcast before, said that book has had saved my life. And I appreciate I appreciate God's work in all of our lives, and I'm grateful that we can take the things that he is teaching us, and we can put them in print, in video, put them however we can communicate them to others, and that God uses these things to help people. And so thank you so much for that comment. And then finally, Jeremy wrote in, and Jeremy asked if he could have a role in our ministry, and I was so grateful that he would ask that question because I would love for you to pray about that as well. If you have a unique skill set and you see something that you can do for our ministry and you want to help in some way, just write us and let us know. We would love to consider it. It would be, it would be fantastic uh, to have more volunteers giving their skill. And we ask people for donations, of course, and to support us financially through memberships. And that's wonderful too, but perhaps you have a skill set that you would like to give also, and if you do, just write us and let us know. And then finally, uh, we have just uh, we have scheduled a meeting in Katy, Texas. Uh, I will be in the Houston area in, in the first week or so of August, doing some training down there. I'll have more details later. But if you're interested in that, I can connect you with the hosting church that will have me down in Houston uh, the first week of August, and then right after that, we will be in Idaho doing a conference up there if you want information about that or the meetings that I'll be having in Florida this summer let us know and perhaps you would like to have me at your church or speaking to your organization please contact us and let us get you on the calendar uh, the sooner that you do that it would be better so that we can uh, fit you in to the time that works best for you now let me get back to this podcast, why it's not wrong to expect love in return. The statement that I gave you is, love is a commitment accompanied by action with no expectation of anything in return. I said that that is a false statement, so let me explain myself, and I'll begin this way. The fullest expression and experience of love is when two people love each other well. Love was never meant to be just unidirectional. To not expect this or not to want this good thing is to misunderstand the higher purposes and benefits of love, which is why I say, that that statement is false. Let me read to you a verse you are familiar with, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Love has an end game. For the joy that was set before him, he endured so much. He despising the shame. Love has an end game that brings benefit to the loved and the lover. Now, I am not sure what all encompassed the joy that Jesus perceived, the joy that was set in front of him, but it most definitely had something to do with a loving future that involved you, if you are a Christian, me and him. I don't think there's any question about there being a reciprocality in this loving future that we are going to have for the joy that was set before him. Because of that joy, this mutual relationship that we're going to have sometime in the future, God's entire redemptive plan has been to restore humanity to himself. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. It was love-driven destruction that was pre-planned before our Creator laid down the foundations of the earth as Paul taught us in Ephesians 1, 4, 5, and 6. It would put a strain on the text to say the Lord did not expect our love in response to His love. He fully knew His love would not return void. It's this kind of expectation that is part of what motivated the Lord to persevere through a horrific life, excruciating death on the cross, and all of the accompanying shame. This expectation of love in return is part of what fuels our endurance too. Jesus knew that there would be a return on his investment. The acronym for that is ROI. He knew there would be an ROI, a return on his investment. That he, get, he knew that, so he gave his life for the church. He knew there would be fruit coming back to him, which is the effect from the work of his hands. In Ephesians 5, we, we see this. Let me read the verse to you. Verse 27, it says, So that, that he, Jesus, might present the church, what? To himself. To himself. He knew that there would be an ROI. That he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. So he gave his life knowing that there would be return on his investment. You see, Ephesians 5, 25 through 28, it teaches us how husbands should love their wives. Now, most of the time, we, we stop short of a full discussion about this passage. We only talk about how the husband should die for his wife, which is true. A man should lay his life down in a conceptual way, to the Savior laying down his life for us, but keep on reading. His love, Jesus' love, was about two-way giving. I give myself to you, and you give yourself to me. 
His love, Jesus' love, expected something in return. There are too many passages in the Gospels that talk about this. Take up your cross and follow me. Go and make disciples, teaching others to, to learn what I have taught you. There is an expectation that we would reciprocate our love through our effort, through our affection. Heaven will not be an empty place where no one reciprocated the love of God. The Lord knew this. The horrible reality of persevering under incredible suffering was not without an expectation of future blessing. Let's apply this. You are not wrong to desire reciprocated love from those whom you are laying down your life. Your love recipients, those people who receive your love, may or they may not return your labor for them, but you should not feel guilty for desiring it. If our desire to... In, in our desire to not fall into a trap, we end up falling into a trap. We overcorrect ourselves by oversteering the car, a move that lands us in the other ditch. This overreaction may have what happened with our love problem, and so people love that cliche saying, well, love, you know, it, it, I don't have any expectation of anyone loving me in return. It may sound mature to say, I love you without an expectation of you loving me in return, but it falls short of communicating the fullness of the gospel. And by the way, it may, all, it may also damage the fuller purposes of the gospel. Love needs more room to express itself. It's, it's not that you just, it's like you're going on a trip, but you're only going to take half the trip. I'm only going to love you, but I don't expect you to love me in return. No, love needs a lot more room to express itself. You plan your trip. You pack your bags. You embark on your journey. And about halfway to your destination, you say, well, I'm not expecting to get there. You committed to the trip, but chose not to expect to enjoy the full benefits of the trip. It might be better to rethink our old expression about not expect, expecting anything in return, and maybe we need to replace it with a few better sayings. There are three that come to mind. Let me share them with you. Number one, love is a commitment accompanied by action with an expectation of something in return. There is nothing wrong with that statement. In fact, that statement gives you the fullest expression of love. It's not just one person unidirectionally loving, but it is the other person reciprocating that love. And so it's okay to say love is a commitment accompanied by action with an expectation of return. Another way that we can think about this is this. Number two, love is a commitment accompanied by action without a demand for something in return. Do you hear the nuance here? The, the subtle change in that sentence. 
I'm going to explain that in just a moment, but let me give you number three. Love is a commitment accompanied by action, but your lack of response will not control me. So let me deal with all three of these statements that I just shared with you. The first one, love with an expectation. Love is a commitment accompanied by action with an expectation of something in return. To expect reciprocal love is being honest with yourself and others. The truth is, is that we all love others in part because there is a boomerang benefit to our love. We know this. Intuitively, even if we don't admit it, we should admit it. We should have this expectation that we'd be loved in return. For example, when I come home from work, it's not lost on me about how I should enter our home. If I come in with an angry and awful attitude, there will probably be friction between my family and me. If I come home with a desire to love my family by proactively engaging them instead of being angry and having an awful attitude, there will likely be blessings given in return for my love. Now, which way do you think I prefer to arrive home? Let me be honest with you. Do you think I'm not aware of how those two situations could go for me? Coming in with an angry and awful attitude or, or coming in proactively engaging my family? People intuitively know that good behavior usually perpetuates good behavior in return. You don't have to be guilty for knowing this. If I have any sense at all, I'm going to try to be on my best behavior when I arrive home. If I love them well, I'm not expecting to get hit in the head with a dinner plate or a frying pan. It's, it's like Jesus talked about the Father bestowing good things. He's, he doesn't give you a, a rock in return. He doesn't give you a serpent in return. We have this expectation of reciprocal love. There is nothing wrong with this kind of worldview, or there doesn't have to be anything wrong with it. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. There's that reciprocality again. But if you sow to the Spirit, guess what? You will receive blessings. And so it is right to say Love is a commitment accompanied by action with an expectation of something in return. Take point number two. Love is a commitment accompanied by action without a demand for something in return. There's the subtle change, the shift, the nuance. Where we can get ourselves into trouble is when our expectation for mutual love turns into a demand for it. While it is biblical to expect love in return, as I have been saying, for your good works, it is not biblical to demand others to love you because you have been kind to them. When we do this, when we act this way, when we make these demands, our love unhooks from its gospel moorings and loses this gospel orientation. The gospel does not deny the possibility of love in return, but it never demands it. 
The person who expects love in return must hold that expectation loosely. Hold your hands out like you were receiving something. You're holding it loosely as opposed to gripping it firmly and demanding it. And so the person who expects love in return does hold that hope loosely while maintaining full awareness of how the doctrine of sin is always crouching at the door of our hearts, seeking to devour relationships and the blessed possibilities that should flow out of those relationships. Sin is ever-present, and sometimes it can take away that which we desire. Everybody will not love you back. If your expectations for love have turned into demands, your love has morphed into lust. Love turned to lust is love gone bad. It has become spoiled. It may have started pure, but now defilement has taken place. The motive of the heart of the person who demands love in return has changed from being God-centered to human-centered. Our call is to love others regardless of what they do. This indicative is the way of the Lord, our highest and most perfected example for us to emulate. To love well is to guard your heart well. The likelihood of being rejected is proportional to the amount of love you are willing to give. And this is why some people isolate themselves and and shut themselves off and, and say things like, I'll never love again. Well, to say that and to be that way is to deny God's power and, and to adulterate the gospel. Jesus was the most loving person the world has ever known. I think we all believe that. But what about this? Juxtapose that idea, the most loving person that the world has ever known, to this. Jesus was also the most rejected person the world has ever known. What differentiates him from us is that people's rejection did not control him. And so I gave you three statements. The first one is love is a commitment accompanied by action with an expectation of something in return. And then I was just talking about love is a commitment accompanied by action without a demand for something in return. And here's my last statement. Love is a commitment accompanied by action, but your lack of response will not control me. Mark 10, we have this text, starting in verse 33. We're going up to Jerusalem, Jesus is talking, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. In John 4, we have this, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. I want you to put these two texts together. The first text, the longer text from Mark 10, we we see Jesus predicting what actually came to pass. They condemned Him to death. They delivered Him to the Gentiles. They mocked Him. They spit upon Him. They flogged Him. They killed Him. And then in John 4... Jesus says, basically, I'm here to do God's will. 
If you refuse to love others because they do not love you back, you have been controlled by them. The spouse who is depressed by the lack of mutual love in her marriage is more controlled by the lack of love from her spouse than a desire to do God's will. That's why I'm putting those two texts together. Do you read, do you hear the, the horrendous things that they did to Jesus? And do you also hear how he was so focused, so governed, so managed by the will of God that doing God's will was so powerful in his life that it overpowered the things that people were doing with him? A spouse who is in this situation is in a hard spot. It's a hard spot for anyone because of our biblical and robust expectation to experience the love of others. Jesus expected it. I expect it. You expect it. You will know to what degree you expect someone to love you by how you respond to them when they don't love you. We all struggle this way. I'm not saying this as though I have hit some level of maturity. It's just not true. We all struggle this way, which is why the saying about not expecting mutual love is untrue. You and I love people because it is biblical, and we love people because we expect to receive love in return. That is a natural and biblical desire. The typical counsel for a, a person that someone does not love well is for them to think more about the love of God I struggle with this kind of counsel. At best, it can spur the loveless person toward a passive mind game as they try to overthink, overwish, overpray what it means to enjoy the love of God while relinquishing their rights to the desire of human love. It can be torturous for people. And this kind of person usually ends up depressed because they intuitively know that it is not suitable for them to be alone. They desire community, which is another way of saying they want acceptance. They want love within their unique tribe or, or from an individual. Oh, yeah, they want God to love them and they want someone else to love them too. This desire is biblical because God made us this way, as he said in 2.18 of Genesis. It's not good for you to be alone. To counsel a person not to desire the love of others is akin to saying, quote, Give up your desire for brownies while asking the Lord to give you greater affection for broccoli. Now, no doubt, eating broccoli is better for you. And so is the love of God, by the way. But a desire for brownies is not evil. And we should not pit the two foods against each other. Nevertheless, it still begs the question, what do you do when you're in a a non-reciprocating love relationship. Well, Jesus' answer to not being loved well by others was to do the will, of, the will of his Father. He did not say, quote, Well, if you're not going to love me, you're going to flog me. I'm going to bask in the Father's love. Honestly, he, he didn't seem to spend a lot of time thinking about what people were doing to him or what he was not getting from others. He seemed to be more focused on doing God's will regardless of what people did or how they responded to him. That is what pleased him. Rather than making sure others filled his love cup, he spent his days strategizing how to do the will of his Father, the one who sent him. He kept persevering in the Father's pleasure. 
There was joy set before him. Paul called it a prize. Jesus pursued that prize, doing the will of the Father. And because of his singular focus to do his Father's will, the displeasures of this life did not control him. It's not wrong to want to be loved by others. But when those close to you do not give that love, there must be a transcending focus to your life. Meaning, your desire to do the will of your Heavenly Father must be far greater than the disappointments in your relationships. Paul saw something in his future that made what he lost not worth pursuing. He talks about this in Philippians. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That is the prize. Jesus had a similar mindset that gave him persevering grace too. To be like them, Paul, and Jesus, we must keep the following nine things in mind. Number one, you must always love others, never stop. Number two, expect to be loved in return. Always expect this. Number three, you will be disappointed to some degree. Number four, don't demand from others what you haven't perfected yourself. Number five, spend more time seeking God than seeking love. Number six, find your fullest satisfaction in doing the Lord's will. Number seven, keep pressing toward the goal for the prize of Christ Jesus. Number eight, you will get what you want in proportion to your dying to yourself. And number nine, the gospel's way to love is counter to the culture's approach. Thanks for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.